This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Good morning. Once again, we are delighted to welcome you to our worship service at Ocean Lakes Family Campground. Today is June the 14th, which is Flag Day. Before I get to the message, I want to share with you a poem. I wish I knew who wrote it. It's a beautiful poem, Honoring Our Flag. And I think there's no more appropriate day to give proper honor to the flag of the United States than today, Flag Day. The poem goes as such. I am your flag of the United States of America. I have led your sons into battle from Valley Forge to all wars. I was born on June the 14th, 1777. I am more than just cloth shaped into a design. I am the refuge of the world's oppressed people. I am the silent sentinel of freedom. I am the emblem of the greatest sovereign nation on the face of the earth. I am the inspiration for which veterans gave their lives as well as their war-torn bodies. I have crossed all oceans to make this world safe for democracy. I was created to serve my people and the government in power. I have covered the coffins of all of our beloved dead heroes before they are lowered into their final resting place, beneath whose solemn white crosses, row on row, I am silently and carefully removed by members of the armed forces and folded with care and by hand and given gently to the brokenhearted next of kin. I am more grateful to the brave armed forces that continue to give their lives and the gallant sailors who were bombed at Pearl Harbor and were sent to their watery graves and the courageous fighting Marines at Iwo Jima and the brave soldiers that invaded the shore of Normandy and the brave men of Merchant Marine who manned the bridge of ships bringing cargo to our fighting forces and our allies and our POWs and MIAs who still haven't found their way home and all of our great presidents of our great nation. I have flown through peace and war, strife and prosperity, and amidst it all, I have been respected. My colors are red, white, and blue. My red stripes symbolize the blood spilled in defense of this glorious nation. My white stripes signify the yearning tears shed by Americans who lost their sons and daughters. My blue field is indicative of God's heaven under which I fly. My stars cluster together, unifying 50 states as one for God and country. Old Glory is my nickname, and I proudly wave on high. Honor me, respect me, defend me with your lives and fortunes. Never let my enemies tear me down from my lofty position, lest I never return. Keep a light 
the fires of patriotism, strive earnestly for the spirit of democracy. I shall remain the bulwark of peace and freedom for all mankind. And if by chance you see me flying high in the breeze, just stop and pause for a moment to say a little prayer. Thank God I am an American. Flag Day, June 14th. Today in our message, I want to begin by telling you something about vision. A common misconception is held by many people that those who may be physically handicapped, such as loss of sight, may be in some way also mentally handicapped. This is not true. Years ago, uh, people used to refer to those who were uh, not able to hear. The, the way they used to say it was deaf and dumb. Uh, that usage grew out of the fact that some people who are deaf had, have difficulty in speaking the same way that hearing people do. The word dumb literally means unable to speak words. But many deaf people do have the physical ability to speak. But in the minds of a lot of us, the word dumb refers to one who is mentally uh, challenged or dull or stupid. So the proper way to refer to deaf people is not deaf and dumb. Hope you don't use that term anymore. The right way to say it is just the one word, deaf, or maybe uh, uh, hearing challenged rather than deaf and dumb. When I was a young boy, we sometimes had a man to visit our family who was my father's first cousin. His name was Sam Lawton. He was deprived of his sight only a few weeks after he was born, but he had a great sense of intellect and perception that many hearing people and seeing people lack. Although he did not have physical sight, he had a tremendous insight into the secret of living abundantly. I remember hearing Cousin Sam say that because a person is blind does not mean that he's stupid, and that is so true. One of the real tragedies of life is the fact that so many of us who possess 2020 vision physically are blind to some important things about us. A great naturalist once said that in a forest, the top, tr the top branches of a hemlock tree always point toward the east. He said this is one of the few truly directional signs in a forest. Well, I think if many of us were to be lost in a forest, the chances are that we would not even recognize a hemlock tree, much less look to the top of it to see which way the branches are pointing. There was a man who once spent an entire month in the city of Jerusalem, and later he said all he could remember seeing there during that whole time was a dogfight. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote these words, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. Too many of us go through life like this. 
We become so entangled in the underbrush of life until we can't see the top of the hemlock trees that point the way. We see dogfights instead of holy places the master trod. We pick blackberries instead of taking off our shoes in awe and reverence. Our scriptural text for today is just one verse from the 119th Psalm, verse 18. This is a prayer that the psalmist prayed, which really could well be the prayer of every one of us. These are the words of that prayer. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This is a message of good news. The good news is that if your life is in Jesus Christ, then you have come to that point in your life, you've decided to give your heart, your soul, your life to Him. You can rightly expect some wonderful things to happen in your life. You do not need to expect there'll be no trouble. That's not the promise. But there are good things that happen. And one good thing is that you'll be able to see more than just physically. I'm not talking just about your physical sight. Maybe you have that anyhow. But more importantly, you'll have a special sense of sight which will now allow you to see some of those wondrous things which the psalmist talks about. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Well, if you're a Christian, what can you expect to see? I want to mention just three things. First, the Christian can see significance in simple things. It's not the great issues of life that give us so much trouble. It's the small things, really. One man said that the biggest problems of this world are so very, very tiny. The atom, the ovum, and a touch of pigment. Contrary to what many educated theologians may have made out of it, Christianity is essentially a matter of emphasis on small things. Jesus had eyes to see significance in the small things of his day. For example, the grain in the field, five loaves of bread and two small fish, a small coin, one lost sheep, the lilies of the field, a fig tree, salt, a candle, one mustard seed. All these things caught the eye of Jesus and they had meaning for the master. I think it's high time that we as professing Christian people come back down to earth. We've been circulating in such a high, noble atmosphere sometimes that there are those who are observing that with our head in the clouds, our feet have left the earth. It's no wonder then that we see all around us those who have lost their spiritual balance. We see it every day. It's a sad day when we can discuss glibly such lofty concepts such as belief in God, the inerrancy of the scripture, human brotherhood, tolerance of other people's beliefs, the Holy Spirit. All these are good subjects, yes. But all the while, if we're not careful, we seem to forget that all of these things are supported, they're undergirded by such simple things as human kindness, humility of spirit, gratitude, 
consideration for other people, unselfishness, just plain honesty. There's not very much to somebody's religion who fails to see importance in the thing that Jesus saw as important. Jesus saw significance in the simple things of life. Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. But the Christian can see not just the significance in simple things, but we can also see colorful and commonplace things. The wife of a doctor had died, and his young daughter lovingly began keeping house for her grief-stricken father. As the years passed, this daughter grew weary of the routine of day-by-day housework. So one day she went into her father's office and she poured out her resentment to her dad, having to do the same thing over and over and over. Such boredom, she said. This wise and loving doctor father of hers pointed to a row of empty bottles on a shelf behind his chair. He said to his daughter, honey, those bottles are all exactly alike, but into them may be poured poison, a bitter acid, uh, some healing medicine, or, or maybe some medicine that will build up a person's weak resistance. He said, dear, it's not the bottles. It's what you put into them that really counts. That father gave his daughter some sound advice with those fatherly words of wisdom. He said, honey, you may think that yours is the only routine life on this earth, but every person's life has a bit of routine in the same kind of way. Yes, the days of our lives are somewhat like empty bottles and we fill those bottles with what we will. There's some who fill their life up to the brim with the poison of regret or self-pity or resentment or anger or what ifs. It's no wonder their lives turn out to be unhappy. And as we look at so many unhappy people all around us in this world, we might just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's a pity that people are like that. But when we see so many of these unhappy people who are professing Christians, maybe faithful church members, something must be deadly wrong. I think somebody probably has the wrong kind of religion. I'm not talking about denominational differences. Jesus came to bring happiness to our lives. His own life was like this. I know there's much about our Lord that made him unhappy. But you know, I cannot envision Jesus dragging and moping around because of all the evil in the world of his day. Nor would he have his followers to do that either. One of the problems with so many Christians these days is not that they're openly bad people. There are a number of good Christian people whose lives just do not radiate any kind of semblance of joy or happiness at all. They're monotone Christians. They have no color. They have no heights, no depths to their lives. They go about their dull, dreary tasks as if they are driven by a whip. Somebody said that even people in church sometimes, 
uh, go about their assumed duties in church life with about as much spark as a wet piece of spaghetti. <laughs> How tragic that might be if, if that's the case. Yes, there are some things that are commonplace in everybody's life, but the real Christian, the one who's following Jesus, is one who is able to see with open eyes things like the thrill of a little child who learns about God. The Christian is one who can see the laughing eyes of a young girl. Or maybe a young man's athletic enthusiasm. A small child's innocent trust. A loving mother's devotion and her care for her children. The wisdom of an older person. And then a song of praise comes to the heart for we know that God is here. And with all the problems that we face, yes, life is still good. Things that were once considered to be very commonplace and dull, now can take on a special significance and color. Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Well, the Christian can see not only significance in the simple things of life, not only the colorful in the midst of commonplace, but the Christian can see the permanent in the midst of all that is passing in life. It takes dedicated eyes to be able to select the permanent things of life from all that passes in parade before our eyes. Here again, there are many morally good people who have been deceived by the passing show of the world so much so that they've lost their sight of the things that are permanent. Our Lord said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But oh, how many modern people scoff at that idea. Why, the thing today is to ignore those old ideas. We're living in a dazzling new era. We worship that which is new and exciting. Well, you don't have to live very long wherever you live to see people who are taking the passing instead of the permanent. These are some people who are more interested in being with the in group among friends than running the risk of being called a holy Joe or goody two-shoes or some religious nut. They like to live in the fast lane, but it eventually catches up with us. There are people in school, for example, who are more interested in the shallow joy of a dishonest grade made by cheating than they are in the more permanent matter of developing lifetime patterns of integrity and honesty. There are adults who are caught up in a frantic rat race to make money in order that they may live a life of leisure, sit back, take it easy, enjoy life only to find out later that their desire for a passing joy of financial stability and ease didn't really satisfy because in the process they've forgotten how to live. They've given up the permanent for that which is passing. We put our faith in things that pass and when we do, when they do pass, then we have nothing left. 
Think for a moment of what you invest most of your life, your interest in these days. Is it your house? Are you mainly concerned about your clothes? Maybe popularity, approval by people who are significant in your life? Is it your car? Your business? All of these things may be good, but they're all passing. They're here today, gone tomorrow. What would you have left if all of that were to be taken from you? So many people these days are having loss of some significant things in their lives, but they find that they have a faith to fall back on. When we are stripped of all our dependence on all the material, physical things, then we are thrown back on God. And the things of earth fade into insignificance because they're just passing things. Some people who are older, maybe as old as I am, will remember the name Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson joined the New York Yankees when he was 19 years old, straight out of high school. And he played in over 1,400 games for the New York Yankees while they were winning the the national pennant nine of the first 10 years he played for the Yankees. Bobby retired from baseball at age 31, and he became the head baseball coach at the University of South Carolina in 1970. And then later he uh, coached at Coastal Carolina University right near Myrtle Beach here. He retired as athletic director from Liberty University. And he moved back after these retirements, moved back to Sumter, South Carolina, with his wife, Betsy. We know about Bobby Richardson. My wife, Jane, was born and raised in Sumter. And the Richardson family have been family friends of ours for quite a few years. I used to play tennis with Bobby Richardson when he would come to Myrtle Beach. I say played with him. He... I really wasn't a very good tennis player. He would hit the ball where I was not, and then he'd just smile warmly when I missed it. Well, Bobby Richardson was a great, great baseball player. We had him one time, one year, to come to Garden City Chapel to what we call Youth Day when we had it there. One of my earliest memories of Bobby was not as a baseball player, though, but rather as a speaker when he spoke at the chapel that day in the early 1960s. I remember Bobby Richardson said that for him, Jesus Christ meant much more than all the worldly fame and acclaim that he might receive. When he took Jesus Christ as his savior, he said, things of this world just didn't seem to matter quite so much. It was important that he was a good baseball player, yes, but that was not paramount. That was not number one in his life. Christ was. And I remember Bobby Richardson quoted that little chorus I think I mentioned last week. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let me ask you, have you developed the art of seeing What do you really see? As you allow the grace and power of God to move fully into your life, He will give you a new vision that will enable you to see significance in even the simple things of life. 
He will enable you to see new color in that which formerly was commonplace and dull for you. And he'll give you insight into your life, not only to distinguish that which is permanent from that which is passing, but even more important, Jesus will give you his divine help to enable you to govern your life so that you will reap rich rewards of a life which is abundantly blessed. The psalmist had a good prayer, didn't he? Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is our prayer too. We don't have good vision sometimes, but you can give us insight and clear vision to see ourselves as we really are and to see what you can do with our lives when you have control. Thank you so much, O oh God, for loving us as you do, for sending your son Jesus to cleanse our lives, to give us forgiveness, redirection, and a meaning, meaningfulness in living. So thank you, Father, for the opportunity of worshiping here and of giving Jesus that prominent place that he so richly deserves. May that be our prayer too, even as the psalmist prays, that our eyes may be open and we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once again, we thank you for being with us today from Ocean Lakes Family Campground here in Myrtle Beach.